preparing for visitation. Now that's a phrase we don't use a whole lot in life, preparing for visitation. But you need personally in your life, I need my life, we need in our homes, we need in our church family, a visitation from God. Now, again, what in the world does that mean? And I'm going to tell you what I mean when I say that. Now, maybe other people say other things but and mean other things. You'll, we'll all be on the same page of what I mean. What I mean by visitation from God, I think we're having a visitation. We're having a visitation from God. Uh, a visitation from God to me is this. God shows up with his presence and power to do what we can't do. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be wild or loud. or anything. It might be. It, it can be all kinds of things. God's, God loves variety. You can tell that. God loves variety. Uh, back many years ago, uh, when we, were, we had church in what we call the Founders Chapel, now it's a cafe, um, it, the, we didn't have a lot of people coming at all, and there was like over a course of a week or so, and I don't remember, you know, maybe eight, ten people gave their lives to Jesus. Um, I was raised in a church, good church, where we preached the word of God, and I don't know that we had eight people give their lives to Jesus in the whole lifetime I was there. And, and this was in a week period of time. That's a visitation. Because I can promise you this, I can tell you clearly the gospel message and how to be born again, but I can't save anyone. Does that make sense? I can't save anyone. And so it requires the presence and power of God to visit us to bring salvation or to bring healing. We prayed for Steve. We don't have power to heal. God does. God, God's a healer. Even when Peter and John healed the lame person, they said, look at these wonderful people. And they said, why do you look at us as though we did some strange thing? It wasn't us. It was this Jesus. And so to save, to heal, to deliver. Sometimes we need deliverance. The, the, the things we can be addicted to in the world's almost limitless. Then sometimes we need delivered from, from the trials of Satan. And yes, there, there are some. There's, remember the lady? She was bent over for, for, I forget, like 18 years. And uh, she was uh, a Jewish lady. And the Lord Jesus was going to heal her. And it's so funny because you know who was aggravated about that the most? The religious people. The religious people said, well, you, you've got six days to heal. And she, they thought, are you kidding me? And Jesus at one point told them on a similar situation like that. Who of you, if you had a donkey or an ox in the ditch, wouldn't on the Sabbath go out and free that donkey or oxen from the ditch? Should not this daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound. Now, he didn't always say Satan bound people. Some people were just sick. But this particular issue, he says, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be delivered and freed from what has bound her. And, of course, he ignored their, their uh, negativity, and he healed her. So we, got, we have a, a wonderful God. So to heal, to deliver, to set free, to impart or infuse us with hope, with purpose, with joy, with wisdom, these are all things that, that we can't manufacture on our own, but God can. God can give them to us. And so we need a visitation from God, which, I, again, I define as the power and presence of God to provide something for us that we cannot provide on our own. Now, we often say this, and I say it too, and I get what we're saying, but I'm going to combine the two today. We'll say we don't want just a visitation, but we want a habitation. And, and that makes sense. In other words, we don't want God just to randomly show up every now and then, you know, if he feels like. We, we, want, we want to create an atmosphere, an environment for him to abide in, 
for him to dwell in. But what I have discovered is when you create an atmosphere or an environment for God to dwell in in your life personally, in your home, in your church family, in any place you have a sphere of influence, but those are the three main places we have a sphere of influence, our own personal lives, our home, you know, our church family, that when we create an environment for God to dwell in by his spirit, then it seems that with a higher frequency that we have these visitations, you know, and uh, it may even be a poor choice of word, just that God is here and he shows up in his might and in his power to do what we could not do. And so in, in Ephesians, it talks about that, I think it's Ephesians 2, uh, 21 and 22, it says, in him, Jesus, the whole building joined together. Now, God often uses illustrations. He uses, you know, farming. He uses shepherding. He uses our human body as an illustration. Here he's using a building. It says, in him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And then he wants to make sure we understand he's talking about us. He says, and in him, you too, you also are being built together to become a dwelling, hear, hear that word? A dwelling, not, you know, not an Airbnb he's going to stay at for a week or two, but a, a dwelling, a dwelling. You become a dwelling. We come together as a church family, as a dwelling in which God lives. He lives by his spirit. So we, we're understanding he, he's not just showing up for the weekend. He wants to abide with us and live with us and dwell with us. And so that's one of our missions as not just Crossroads, but as a church globally, is we need to foster and create an atmosphere for God to dwell in by his spirit. But one problem we'll have with that, if we're not careful, is that we, we can do a form of what I call American Christianity. And American Christianity is kind of this. Uh, I'm going to go do my church thing you know, for an hour or two on Sunday morning, and then I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go back to my real life. And so Jesus is a part of my life, and I'm one honoring for those hour or two, but that's it. But you won't find that process anywhere in Scripture. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, it tells us that when Christ, who is our life, appears, not a little part of our life, but he is our life, the Bible talks about if we abide in him and he abides in us, the, the lingo and the language is about dwelling and abiding and, and this habitation where our lives are in Christ and Christ in us. So I want to really crush it in my life and yours too because we've all been influenced, me too, by you know what I call American Christianity. We'll just go do our little duty. We'll do our thing. We'll throw some money in the plate. Uh, we'll volunteer, we'll do whatever, and then we'll, we'll leave and get back to our real life, where our real life needs to be in Jesus. That's where our real life needs to be. But if we're not thinking like that, then the concept of, of providing an atmosphere for God to dwell in will be foreign to us. And oftentimes, quite frankly, it won't just be foreign, it will be undesirable. Because people say, I, I don't want God meddling with my life. Now, you have 168 hours a week, and so you're saying, I don't mind him meddling with it for a couple hours, but the other 166, they're mine. You know, I want to do with what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want. And, and that's the way we want to live sometimes until calamity or disaster or crisis comes. Then we do want God, don't we? We're happy to have God on Tuesday then because we, we need rescued from the Lord. But we need to live in an atmosphere of him 
and his presence. So I want to remind you, as I often do, that Christianity is supernatural. It's not natural, it's supernatural. It is spiritual. It's not natural, it's not human, or we wouldn't have needed Jesus. I am just totally blown away that people will say they believe in Jesus, and Jesus was God's son, and God clothed himself in flesh, according to Saint, uh, the Gospel of John, and, and he provided an additional way. You know, we got lots of ways to get to heaven, they'll teach. That's so illogical. It's so illogical. Why, if, if you got a hundred or a thousand ways to get to heaven, why would God clothe himself in human flesh and be brutally murdered for you and I just to give an extra way to go to heaven? So probably why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I read about a pastor named Dave this past week, and uh, Dave's a, a minister, and he was telling on himself a little. He said he went to have coffee with his um, a mentor, an uh, older minister that he talked with and shared with. And when they sat down for a cup of coffee, his mentor asked him, said, Dave, said, uh, how's things going in your life? Well, that opened the floodgate for five minutes of a, of a rant on this is bad and that's bad and here's all that's wrong in my life, here's all that's wrong with ministry, here's all that's wrong with the church, here's all the messes I have, here's all the messes the church has. And he's gone on and on and on. Finally, his, his advisor, mentor, held up his hand like, okay, you can stop now. And he said, Dave, you only have one problem. Now Dave's thinking, are you kidding me? Did you not hear everything I just said? I know I clearly laid out 12 problems I have, and probably more. And you say I only have one problem? He said, yes, Dave, you only have one problem. You don't expect God to show up. Wow. You don't expect God to show up. Here you are, a pastor and a minister, and you're trying to do life on your own. You're trying to figure out everything on your own. Do it on your own. And God wants to show up. God wants to show up in your mess and my mess. God wants to show up. There are so many times, and I, I believe God is calling us because he's given dominion on this earth to human beings. That We find that in Genesis. And I believe God's waiting for us to ask him to get involved in a situation that we're in. One time in the Old Testament, a king named Asa um, he did something wrong, and God told him it was wrong, and then he got mad at God. You know, you ever get mad at the person? You do wrong. They tell you you did wrong, and somehow you're the bad guy for telling them. You know, well, I wouldn't have to tell you if you wouldn't have done it. So Asa did wrong. The Lord told him that he did wrong, and he got mad at God, and he got a disease in his feet. And you can read the story for yourself, and it's implied in there that God would have happily healed him but he was so stubborn and proud, it says he would not call upon the Lord. He would not call upon the Lord. It's almost like the Lord saying, I, I'm ready. You know, call, ask. I'll step into your mess. I'll, I'll do something if you'll ask, if you'll invite me in. And so I want us to invite God in. When we're prepared for a visitation, we think differently. We prepare differently. We we think differently, we act differently, we hope differently. When we're expecting God's going to show up, then it changes the way we look and the way we think and how we act. Now, I have this little video that I'm going to show in just a second. And first disclaimer is, this is not a Christian comedian, okay? So I have found very few uh, comedians that aren't Christians that I can usually watch for over five minutes because their vulgarity and where they go and stuff. So... So I'm not recommending this person. I'm just telling you that this clip is this clip's 
R-rated, not X, so it's fine. No, it's not. It's, 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 it's G. Um, and there's some real powerful things that are in there. You know, there, there is one uh, secular comedian I'll recommend to you, and uh, his name's Nick Bargot. Is it Bargotsky? Uh, Barwat? Bargotsky. Nick Bargotsky. Nick or Nate? Nate. Nate Bargotsky. Totally clean. Loves the Lord Christian. I fell in love with him because I was reading about him in a secular magazine, and he said that his friends told him there was no God. But he said, I thought to myself, my mom and dad said there's a God, and I trust them. So that, I said, I like this guy. I like this guy. And uh, so anyway, this guy's name, and Facebook's probably going to edit it out. Now, why, I don't know. This is public domain. This is 2 million people could log into it right now. It doesn't cost anything. It's not like it's you know, stolen out of a video clip or anything. But the guy's, the guy's name is Sebastian Maniscalco. I think I'm saying his name right, Sebastian Maniscalco. And if you got online, you'll find... Uh, uh, it's called the doorbell, but I will tell you this, um, although it was very clean by the world's standards, this little clip, I'm not saying this whole program, I just saw this little clip, I did still have to do a little bit of editing, but I want you to pay attention to this and, and see this, because the first part of the, the bit he does is the world I lived in, and the last part is the world that my kids lived in. So let's go ahead and, and show that video clip. I was sitting in my house a couple weeks ago, just relaxing. My doorbell rang. This is weird. It's a different feeling when your doorbell rings today opposed to 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago, your doorbell rang. That was a happy moment in your house. It's called company. You'd be sitting there on a Thursday night watching TV. Your doorbell rang. The whole family shot off the couch. Put the lights on. Somebody's here. We got people. went to the door. The kids were in socks. They slid up to the door. <laughs> Nobody looked to see who it was. Right? You just opened up the door. You were like, oh my God, look at that. <laughs> look at who's here. They're like, oh, come on in. We're going to have some cake. <laughs> Your mother had a little Anthemans. Maybe some Sara Lee crumble cake. Just in case company came over. She made an announcement when she bought it. She's like, listen, nobody touched this cake. This is for company only. Those crap muffins, those are for you people. She put her cake in the middle of the table, proud of it. And she put it right in the middle. Cut yourself a slice. My cup of coffee. We're gonna do coffee. Want some Sanka? <laughs> Dad, that's old school. A lot of the young kids are looking at me like, what is that, an iPhone app? <laughs> Your mother had a tin, brown and orange tin of Sanka, ready to go just in case the company. She put a big pot on the table. Go ahead. Nobody had a cell phone back then. If your, if, your, if, your, if your house phone did ring, your father stood up and said, nobody get that phone. We got company. <laughs> and you lost track of time. Two hours went by. You were like, we got to get out of here. That's okay. Next time we're going to come by, you'll be like, yeah, 
my door's always open. Now your doorbell rings. Your own mother's crawling across the kitchen floor. Get down my army crawl. Army crawl, get in the closet. I want you to look at the spiritual connections in this. You notice the preparation? Mama's made sure there's cakes ready and there's all this and that and they're tucked away and the rules are given, don't touch this, this is for company. The joy, the excitement when company came and showed up. Notice the respect. Don't answer the phone. You know, we got company. Yeah, that's the way it was. And so we had to be careful that we're not distracted by all kinds of things and we just don't pay attention, maybe... We get distracted by... Now, we used to say we get distracted by our cell phones and our tablets and all that. That's true. But before that, we had things called pencil and paper. And people still sat in church and, you know, thought, well, what do I want to do at work tomorrow? Okay? That, that's a distraction. Oh, I need to go shopping. I need to make a shopping list. You know? No, we, we need to make sure we're not distracted. Time flew because company was there. Company was joyful. It was exciting. It was adventuresome. It was a happy time in the house because there was a visitation. There was company, a word that almost doesn't exist in our vocabulary anymore. I think it's time to get ready for company again. I think it's time to get excited when the spiritual doorbell rings. And instead of going and hiding and looking out and going, well, if God shows up, the service might go a little long. Well, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? But you know what I know? If God really showed up and it just wasn't man trying to manufacture something, the time will fly by because God's up to things, meeting needs and touching lives. It's time that you and I prepare for a visitation. Now back several summers ago, I had like a mini sabbatical and I probably missed two, maybe it might have been four services that year uh, for a sabbatical break. And on one particular Sunday, I, d I didn't just lie in bed, you know, and have Darlene bring me donuts in the morning or something. I actually, you know, got up and, and family actually came to church. And I, I went to, uh, I'd visit church. So there's this one particular church where I'd met the guy several times in ministry things in the community. And we weren't really buddies, I would say, but we were, were acqu good acquaintances. And I really respected him and his understanding of the word and all that. So I thought, I'm going to go, you know, show up and, and go to his church. And so... On Sunday morning, I did something that's unusual for a lot of churchgoers. I arrived at the church about 15 minutes early. I know, that's like, that's so foreign. I can't really think about that. But I arrived about 15 minutes early. And there was eight or ten cars in the parking lot. And so I got out and walked up towards the door. And I'm making my way towards the door. And when I get up there, they had like a little portico, a little, you know, covering before you walked in. But as I got closer, I noticed that it was all wrapped off with caution tape. You couldn't get to the doors of the church. I thought, that's interesting. There was, there was no usher. There was no greeter. There was no, not even a sign. You know, sorry for the inconvenience. Please go over here. So I looked around. I thought, I don't really see an appropriate entrance. But, 
you know, that would give most pe- people who are visiting, seriously, if you've got to jump that hoop, you know, you've already caution taped off the entrance door of the church, they're just going to go to Cracker Barrel, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, not me, I'm not deterred, so I sit there and I say, I'm going to watch because I know somebody in the know is going to come, and I'll follow them, I'll see how they get in. And so, sure enough, a car pulls up, I watch them, they go about 20 feet to the left, Is a solid steel door, it doesn't look like it'd be any kind of an entrance, but it must be, they open up the door and go in, and go, ah, there we go. So I go up there, and I open up that door, and I walk in. When I walk in, I walk in, like, to this hallway. No usher, no greeter, no sign, no anything. And I went, okay, well, I know the sanctuary's got to be here somewhere. So, you know, I make my best guess. By the way, don't follow me, because I made the best guess, and I ended up in the kitchen. And I went, okay, well, that's not right. So I meandered my way around. I finally got to the, to the sanctuary, and there's probably a dozen, 15 people there. And so I took my place, second row, front and center, and sat there for a while. Now, this isn't a mega church. And it's, you know, not a huge church. So I'm going to suspect that the people who saw me come in thought, we've never seen this guy before. But no one said, boo, hi, welcome, glad to have you here, anything like that. You know, you at least expect to get a, what are you doing here? You know, but I didn't even get that. So I sat there on the second row for a little bit, and then the place started to fill up a little more. I said, well, you know, I'll just go greet people myself. And so I got up, and I'm actually not naturally gregarious, you know, here I am, because I've been here forever, and we all feel comfortable, but, but I decided to get up and go say hi and shake hands and meet people and do this and that. And you know what I found? A room full of kind people, a room full of friendly people, a room full of funny people, a room full of wonderful people. They just made one big mistake. They weren't expecting anyone to show up but themselves had zero preparation for a visitation, for a visitor, for a guest. Now, I hope if it's your first time here today that you didn't feel that way. I'm, I know you didn't have to crawl over caution tape to get in, but I hope that, that somebody said hi or you felt warmly welcomed or greeted. If not, shame on us because we should be prepared for company. You know, for people to come and enjoy themselves in the presence of God. Their mistake was they weren't ready for a visitation. We need to get ready. Jesus talks about that in Luke 19. In Luke 19, Jesus is not far from the cross. It's going to be upon him in just a few days. And in Luke 19, 41 through 44, it says, But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to what? Weep. And then he says this, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Now it's interesting, because he said, if you of all people, why, why was he saying that? Because he's looking at Jerusalem, which is full of God's chosen people, the Israelites. The Israelites, God actually raised up a people group out of Abraham. Man, God's so awesome, so unlikely. Abraham, he's nigh 100, Sarah's 90, they couldn't have kids in their childbearing years. And he says, I'm going to make you great. You're going to have kids and, and you're going to prosper and I'm going to raise up a people out of you. And he does it because nothing's too difficult for the Lord. <laughs> nothing's hard for God. Man, I want you to know, nothing's hard for him. I mean, I'm serious. If, if I would have been looking, if God would have said, go out and find me some people to have some children, I would not have picked Abraham and Sarah. They would not have been on my list. Hey, God, I think I found some people. He's 100, she's 90. They've never been able to have kids, but they look like a good, a good uh, you know, person for this 
campaign, no. But God's raising up this people. You know what the purpose was for the Israelites? They were to let all the world know there was a God. The one true God. And the purpose for the Israelites also was to bring in through them, through this people group, a Messiah, a Savior for the world. And guess what? He's center stage. And they don't recognize him. Now, I want to say this clearly. It wasn't that everyone didn't recognize him. And when he said, it's too late, that means you can't ever be saved, you can't ever know, because on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 Jewish men gave their lives to Jesus Christ. So it wasn't like you can't go to heaven. But he says, I'm leaving in a few days, so you missed your opportunity to recognize me, at least here on planet Earth, as the one who brings peace. And then he goes on and says some really tough things. He says, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in on every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. And here's a powerful word, because. Because. What's because mean? You know all this stuff I just said? That your enemies are going to build ramparts against your walls. They're going to circle you. They're going to close you in on every side. They're going to crush you to the ground, you and your children. This is all happening because, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. You did not recognize your day of visitation. Now, I want to make something really clear. We're so conditioned to believe that God's mean and angry and over-caffeinated that we, we think to ourselves, He's just saying this, hey, since you didn't recognize me, I'm going to get you. But that really isn't what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you'll look, you of all people would look at your history, when you recognized God, when you honored God, when you blessed God, when you obeyed God, all went well with you. He went before you and behind you. He, he routed your enemies. You had no no uh, military might or power, but God went before you. You conquered one of the greatest, na the greatest nation on planet earth with, with the mighty hand of God. But every time you wandered away from God, things went south. I believe Jesus is saying this. You had an opportunity to invite the God of the universe into your life, into your situation, into your people group, but you rejected it. And when you reject that, you reject the God of refuge the God of protection, the God of power, the God of all that. And, and this week as I was meditating on that, I thought, I see that happen in our lives as human beings, not just as a nation. But, but God draws out to you, he reveals himself to you, and he shows himself to you, but, but people decide, I don't want you. I, I want to do life on my own terms, my own way, the way I want to do it, I don't want you. And then what happens is you've rejected God and slowly but surely your enemies begin to circle you. They begin to encircle you and then they begin to crush in on you. And, and not only you, but you all know some people like this. You look at their kids and you think, what chance do they have? Look at the environment that they're being raised in. Look at what they're seeing as normal. Look at what they're experiencing because mom and dad's not going to serve God. That'd be awful to serve God. And so they and their children are crushed. Jesus hates that. That's why, remember the start of the story? He looked over Jerusalem and what? Wept. Wept. He didn't say, you're going to get yours. He wept. He wept. He wept over Jerusalem a couple times in the scriptures. Because you did not recognize the day God visited you. 
I believe God's visiting us, honestly, even right now. I mean, sometimes we think of a visitation has to be loud or boisterous or flamboyant or whatever. It doesn't. We see that with Elijah. God wasn't in the, the earthquake. God wasn't in the fire. God wasn't in the whirlwind. He was in the still, small voice. Can God be in the earthquake? Absolutely. If you go to Mount Sinai, all the things he wasn't in for Elijah was all the things he was doing on Mount Sinai when the commandments came. So he has that capacity, but God visits us. And I want to tell you that if you walk away from the call and draw of God when he's saying, I want you to know, I love you, I care for you, my goodness and kindness is, is stretching out to you, and you, you walk out of this place or any place and say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live life on my own terms and go my own way. Well, you can, but just beware. Jesus is weeping, and he's saying, shortly your enemies will begin to encircle you, and they'll build ramparts against your wall, and they will crush you, and your children, and not one stone will be left upon another. Hear this word from the Lord for your personal life and for your family. Jacob had an encounter where he was in a place where he had this dream of, of angels ascending and descending, and he, he said, basically, I wasn't aware of this visitation I was going to have. He said, surely the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. So we want to be alert and watchful for the Lord and for his visitation. What can happen when God visits anything? What can happen when God visits everything? There's no limitation. Anything, everything can happen when God visits. And God revealed himself in his son. Again, you can go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and it will reveal to you that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14 of chapter 1, it will say, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus is God in human flesh. One of the easiest ways to explain is, remember this, you remember Joseph and Mary, right? And baby Jesus. You got Joseph and Mary. Well, Mary's pregnant, and Joseph, probably the closest thing to us would be being engaged, but it's, it's deeper than that in the Jewish faith, but they were like engaged. And Joseph decides, I'm going to dismiss Mary. I'm going to break up with her privately and quietly. And the angel visits him in a dream and says, don't be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, from God. It's divine. She wasn't unfaithful to you, Joseph. There's, there's a, a divine activity of God. And she's going to give birth to a son in a few months. And he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. So when Jesus shows up, anything and everything can happen. When Jesus visited a place, all heaven broke loose. And seriously, not, not meaning this in an inappropriate way, all hell would break loose too. You'd find both those things going on when Jesus showed up. You know, there'd be revival and a riot at the same time. <laughs> you know, there, because there was a kingdom that wanted to stop what Jesus was doing, the kingdom of darkness that we've been translated from. The Bible says we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. When Jesus shows up, anything and everything can happen. In Acts 10, 38, it says that Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. So we see Jesus raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, imparting wisdom, revealing himself as the Messiah, healing people spiritually and emotionally and mentally and relationally. The list goes on and on and on because when Jesus shows up, anything and everything can happen. So this week I was going to give you a, a real, 
what we would think of spiritual because you and I both struggle with this. We see some things as spiritual and some things as natural. I don't think God does as much. I think God sees it all meshed together. You are a triune being. You have a spirit, a soul, and a body, according to Scripture. And yet you, you know you're one. There's nothing you could point to and say, here, here's my spirit. It's right here. Your spirit, your soul, your body, it all functions together. And, and any part of it can be spiritual. That's why uh, I think it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And this is our spiritual act of worship. Isn't that interesting? We present our bodies to God, and it's a spiritual act of worship. And so before we get into next week on some more things we would consider spiritual, I'm going to talk about some natural things. And I want you to know this. Uh, these natural things also will play out into spiritual ways too. Now, I know you're going to fight and go, ah, that doesn't sound real spiritual, but it is. Here they are. Practical preparation. Are you ready? One, get a good night's sleep. Really? So that helps? Yeah. When you don't get a good night's sleep, you're grumpy. You're sensitive. You're irritable. You get irritated easy, and you irritate me easy. <laughs> no, just kidding. You'll irritate those around you easily. It happens because you're not, you're, you're sleepy. Now think about this. We're going to come, and we're going to spend just a little bit of time in a whole, a whole big week with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and you didn't get a good night's sleep. Now, it's different. I get it if you didn't feel well or you had insomnia, but it really, I'm, I mean this. If you were just, this is Southern Indiana talk, dinking around, you know, watching TV, you know, playing video games, goofing around, all of a sudden it turns into 11, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, then you weren't really respecting what was going to happen today. Now, I, I, I know it sound, you may say, well, that sounds kind of harsh, but it is, is a harsh truth. And so you came sleepy and grumpy, and here was your first thought. Now think about this. We're going to gather to worship God. Your alarm goes off. Here's your first thought if you did not get a good night's sleep. I don't want to go to church today. Now that's real worshipful, isn't it? I don't want to go to church today. Why don't you want to go to church? Primarily because you're tired. I get it. And so you hit the snooze, and probably 70% of the people, after I don't want to go to church today, they say, I'm not going to go to church today. And then 30% of you plow through, and you come, I celebrate you, I say, great job, but you'd be better off for yourself if you got a good night's sleep. The second thing is to get up on time for a peaceful trip to church. Now, I don't nudge your spouse or your kids or just play it cool, and everybody will think you do this right, okay? You get, if it takes you an hour to get ready for church, then it takes you an hour. You and your family or whatever. Whatever that time is, you know what it is and that's what it takes. So let's pretend it's an hour. Then 52 minutes ain't going to be enough. 45 minutes is not going to be enough. So what happens? You don't start on time. And what happens in the household? Seriously, I know this doesn't happen in your household, but other households, they start bickering at each other, griping. You got to get out of bed. I don't have anything to wear. You should have took care of that last night. What's for breakfast? Nothing for you, stupid. We got to get going. You know, blah, 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 blah. So the next thing you know, there's all this bickering and arguing and fighting and you're dragging kids out. And then you get out and you look at yourself. You got a blue shoe on the, and a black shoe because you're just such a rush 
and then you get to the house of the Lord, and you're, now, when you come in the door, we don't know that, because on the way to church, you know, you've been barking, fighting, and yelling, and everything, but when you come here, it's like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, God is good, God is good, God is so good, he'll for, now you're thinking this thought, he'll forgive me when I kill my spouse for how they treated me this morning, you know, there's, there's all this pent-up anger, so, so, I'm very serious about this. Is this not spiritual? That if you would take care of these things, you get up on time for a peaceful trip to church. Show up a couple minutes early. Now, that must be something that is across the Christian world. Maybe it's, I don't, I've never ran a factory or a business. Maybe it's that way in business too. Maybe no one shows up at time business. But today and about every day, and for years, if I get up and say, welcome everyone to church, I get up here and I look out and I go, this is going to be our last service, I guess. We're done. This is it. And then I go down there and I start thinking, is it Memorial Weekend or Labor Day? We, you know, I'm trying to think because, I mean, no one's here. And then I come up here after worship and go, oh, okay, well, hey, welcome, everyone. <laughs> Good to have you here. Show up a couple minutes early. Now, especially, now this won't help you if you're an habitually late person who doesn't mind being late because that's just your, your style. But if you're an on-time person, it will angst you up to be late. You know what I mean? If you're an on-time person, you just, you can't. I mean, Larry Schreier uh, always showed up a couple minutes late to work when he was about 18 years old. Larry's gone on to be with the Lord, but he had a boss set him down. He said, Larry, it's no harder to show up five minutes early than five minutes late. And he took that to heart. And so when he came here for years until he went on to be with the Lord, if he wasn't here 40 minutes before church started, I was nervous something happened to Larry. I'm serious. Like, Man, I wonder if Larry's okay. I mean, church starts in 40 minutes, and he's not here yet, because he, he really got that ingrained in him. So show up a couple minutes early. You get to relax. You get a fellowship with one another. And by the way, I'm going to tell you something that very few of you even know. Although I've told you over and over, our official start time is 9.55 a.m. It is? I thought it was 10. Some of you thought it was noon. But no, it's, it's actually, it's actually 9.55 a.m. The reason we did that, because that's weird, but what we used to do is we used to sing a song, and then we would stop and greet. There's a couple problems with this. There's a couple good things about it, too, but there's a couple problems. One, you're starting to enter into worship. You know what I mean? You're starting to worship God. You're starting to get tuned in Him. Then you slam on the brakes, and you say, hey, everybody, why don't you say hi to some people around you? And so you start saying hi. Then the next thing, church people do tend to be friendly, and you all are friendly. I can't reel you back in. You know, we're halfway through the second song before... You know, everybody starts in the worship team is going, I don't know if we're ever going to capture the crowd again. And then all of a sudden, you come back in, and then pretty soon, worship is over. So those are a couple problems with that. So we decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually show up at 9.55 as a hard start time and say hi in fellowship and shake hands and meet people and greet people and enjoy that fellowship that a church family should have, that a family should have, and then move right on into worship. The fourth thing is prioritize the gathering. Now, all those three things we've talked about is prioritizing the gathering. But here's some other things you can do. Keep a spirit of forgiveness about you. Keep a spirit of compassion about you. Don't become a gossip. It's kind of hard. And, and by, by the way, I do want to say this. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Maybe you're here for the first time. You thought, this church must have problems because he's like really dealing with all this stuff. No, I deal with things on a personal issue. I don't try to get somebody from the pulpit. I just want you to know that. So if you ever think, he's trying to get me, I just, I don't operate that way. And I'm not joking about this. If I ever did design a sermon to get you, 
you'd be on vacation that week anyway. So I would come and go, well, that was a waste of time. Yeah, that didn't work. So you prioritize the game by having a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of compassion, a spirit of love. You haven't been gossiping about everybody all week long. You're, you're smiling. You have love in your heart. You're serving. You're giving. You're gracious. You're outgoing. You're, you're all that. Now, it doesn't mean you change your personality. I know we all have personalities. But what happens is you're actually creating an atmosphere for God to be in. Now, here's what I want you, I want you to think about these things. We are creating an environment. How good and precious it is when brethren and sisters dwell together in unity. And on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one accord, and the Holy Spirit of God fell. What happened? They were prioritizing prayer and fellowship with one another. And they decided that although I got up late and I came to church and I'm in a grumpy mood, I'm not going to let everyone know that because I want to honor the gathering. Now, you do know there are some people, they just... They wear their emotions on their face. And I kind of get if you're wired up that way, you just, you'd have to work on that. But if you say, I'm mad, and by golly, everybody's going to know it when I get to church today. I'm not happy, and I want everybody to know it. Then what you're doing is you're, you're bringing down the gathering. You are, you are crushing any spirit of unity. And uh, I had to back years ago... Um, I would ask people to talk to me about anything intense, you know after service, not before service. True story. I'm getting ready to preach on, we got to have faith. God can do anything. He's able to do anything. Let's trust him for those things. Before service, somebody comes up to me and said this many years ago, and they said, I prayed about stuff. God never does anything. He never comes through. He never answers my prayers. He never does anything. Before he's done, I'm thinking, God ain't going to do nothing, you know. And, uh, so I was getting ready to go up there and tell them God can do anything, but now I'm not so sure. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing, and I just heard for 10 minutes how God doesn't do anything. So we need to prepare. Now, now if those didn't seem spiritual, here's something. Be prayerful. Now, I didn't say get up an hour early before church and pray. Nothing wrong with that, or go to bed and pray. But, but darling, and I is a habit, and it's not a law because we don't do it all the time. We'll go to bed on, on Saturday night. And just pray over the congregation, pray over the people, pray over the ministries, pray over you all, just whoever might come to mind, pray, pray. And want a prayerful attitude. We get up in the morning with a prayerful spirit, a prayerful attitude. And so those things help create and foster an environment for God to move, for God to have a dwelling here. And so that's what I want to encourage us to do. Let's, let's practice these things.